0: get in the action on the action addicts podcast no greater faction than the action movie scene get in the action on the action addicts podcast your satisfaction action on Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My name is Scott Wiley, and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. Happy New Year, and welcome to 2024. It's been a while if you're a regular listener, and kind of sorry about that, but at the same time, couldn't be helped. I know many people have probably been wondering what exactly happened to the show, and the short answer to that is life. Uh, Life happened. To me, not so much the show, but since I'm the host and the editor of this show, that pretty much meant that the host had to stop, same as I did. Now, my hope is that uh, for 2024, we might actually have a full year where that doesn't happen. It doesn't mean we won't have the occasional break, but hopefully not a massive, huge headache that causes the show to disappear for a couple of months. Either way, we have some episodes to get through that were recorded back in 2023 before we can start off a brand new year and actually carry on on the original intended schedule that i had set out however there is also a addendum to that in that we won't be just continuing with the ninja month uh, because there is an interview that i did that will be coming out either this week or next week and that interview will be preceded and succeeded by two episodes that have to be built around it and now annoyingly One of those episodes has audio issues that are beyond my ability to fix, so you just have to kind of live with it, and I'm sorry about that. But the interview itself sounds great, and I hope people will enjoy it, and that will lead into my review of a new film that should be coming out at the end of January. It's already out in Japan, if that should give you a clue as to what type of film it is. If you know me, then you already know what's been going on with me, and if I was to try and explain it all now, it would take a very long time so we're not going to we're just going to say that here's to a better 2024 all right speaking of things being better my guest for this week well i won't uh, duplicate everything i'm about to say but this episode is about new police story but it's also something of an experiment as the guest that we have this week is an author and she has a book that as you will hear when we're talking this episode was recorded in August, I want to say, and apologies to her. This episode should have come out in September, and that's about when everything just went bleh. I've also moved house again since then, and that all pretty much happened in September, so that's one of the reasons why everything got thrown off. So without further ado, I'm going to throw you guys over to the me of the long past at this point and begin the great process of burning through the 2023 episodes that have been sat waiting to be edited but either way i hope that you guys enjoy it and i'll see you for the outro and welcome back to the show Ladies and gentlemen, here we are, we're back in the live room, and as you'll have seen by the title of today's episode, and you'll have already heard me say something to this effect in the intro, we're going to be talking about a new police story, and we have a brand new voice for you to listen to. Today's guest is Ramona Lee, and I'm going to hand it over to herself to introduce her, because she has a lot to say, and she has some cool stuff that I think people that listen to the show will be excited about, I know I am. So, hello Ramona, how are you doing today? Hi Scott,
1: well, first of all thanks for having me on the show, and I hope it's going to be a fun little conversation. And yeah, I'm I'm a novelist. I publish different genres, but my main thing is martial arts action. Yeah, I hope to chat a little bit about my upcoming novel, Agent Zero Zero, the first volume that's coming out on the first of September, and of course, chat about action movies, Jackie Chan, and all of that good stuff. So yeah, excited.
0: Yeah, man. I think I've been following your Instagram for a while, which is kind of how we ended up getting in touch with each other. But I always find it interesting when people want to write about action, like make a novel that's very much inspired by action films, because action in general is kind of a really strong visual medium. So I'm always find it interesting that there are still people that want to write action focused stories. So I'm really curious to see how your book turns out.
1: Thank you. Well, it's a good thing that you, you know you mentioned uh, the visual aspect of it when it comes to writing, I think that's one of the main things that really attracted me to write action novels is the fact that right if I would write, for example, a screenplay, I wouldn't get to have that main to movie right away or publish it right, right away if we say it's self- publishing or you know trad- that less traditional or hybrid publishing. So for well if I want to one day get into movies or write my own screenplays, it's probably easier to start with a book. I know that sounds a bit weird. It's not easy at all, but you know, it's it's something that you can do yourself and have that published before getting too many people involved that you need for a film project, for example. So it's yeah, it's fun to know that you can create your own project and have that shared with the world as it is. And when it comes to writing, you know, the visual aspect you mentioned, what I like doing is that I like to keep my pacing quite you know alert and use a lot of visual images similar to how you would write a screenplay for the readers then to feel like they're watching a movie while they're reading my books. So that's an exciting process, just writing it and rereading, rereading and also hoping that people enjoy the books the same way. So yeah, I guess that ties literature, writing books, to movie making and screenplays and writing screenplays. So yeah, that's, that's a fun journey to, to be on.
0: Yeah. And... When we were talking about Double O, you basically said that you were very much inspired by New Police Story, which is what kind of prompted this episode. So I'm just curious, like, what, well, first of all, when did you watch New Police Story? But second of all, what is it about that New Police Story that is sort of where you found the inspiration for the story?
1: I watched it many years ago. I watched it when I was probably too young to watch such a movie, but (laughs) I was pretty much... (laughs) When we all, but yeah, I watched it when I was what well, I don't even remember. Anyway, a young kid. It came out two thousand four, right? So yeah, I was quite impressed, pretty pretty impressed by the dramatic scenes that you weren't really expecting from Jackie. I think that's why one of the first movies when he started to try to to move into more dramatic roles to play more serious characters with less comedy. And yeah, it was quite surprising to see a movie like New Police Story coming out, where you were expecting something more. The first few police stories, and then it was not really the same same um, vibe, really. So yeah, there's just dramatic backstories almost every ca- single character had, and, and to dive into those was really interesting. And uh, you know, like those just even the first ten minutes of the movie is just probably not something a kid should be watching. And I think that was. One of those bits that really marked me, and I thought, oh, I really want to do and write something like that one day when I grow older. I want people to feel the same way I'm feeling now when I'm watching this movie. And how I felt was just, uh well, first of all, I have like to use the word "traumatized" when I'm describing the way I felt when I watched *New Police Story* because that's what it was. I mean, I don't know, not sure if that was because of my age or you know, but really, really unexpected when when you you know you dive into the movie and then it hits you with so much, so many tragic scenes. But yeah, I really want to do the same thing to blend action with drama, quite heavy drama and comedy at times, because it has some funny moments where some people might not enjoy those kind of, that kind of blend where you think, you know, if you go completely just it's tragic and it's sad and it's this kind of police story with with a tragic background, you you shouldn't be mixing comedy into that, which I, I disagree. I mean, you know, that depends on everyone, uh, what they like reading or watching. But yeah, that's what I took away and really wanted to put into Agent Zero Zero as well. So all my characters in there have their own backstories that you explore and you can sometimes understand even the the villains, for example, so, similar to any Police Story, where you know, where you find out throughout the, the story why certain characters decide to do certain things or what's driving them or it makes you feel sorry for them or you might understand them, although you don't understand, uh, you wouldn't agree with the type of crime they're doing, but you would understand and you can see like, oh, okay, I I can see what made them get to this point, which makes you also feel sorry for them. So I did enjoy exploring these topics in my writing as well.
0: Yeah, and I think New Police Story, there's definitely an argument to be made that there's another version of that film out there where they lean even further into it. It really does feel like they imply a lot and don't really go back to it. Because I, I obviously rewatched it in, in preparation for this conversation, and I had totally forgotten just how depressing it is looking into the lives of the people involved. I remember that we get sad, melodramatic Jackie Chan, and that was fair enough. But I they seemed to be implying that a lot of the villains, although they were like arrogant, rich kids that were just doing it because they thought they were better than everyone else, the main villain, Joe, he had a much more sort of dark, tragic, implied backstory where it's literally a blink and you'll miss it scene, but they imply a lot of bad stuff happened to him when he was a kid. And that was, like you say, extremely sensitive, heavy topics for what amounts to a martial arts film. And you're 100% right about We were probably too young when we watched this film because it was rated 18 in the UK. So I certainly was younger than that in 2004. Although in fairness, according to IMDb, it didn't come out in the UK until 2006, which is more about when I remember watching it whenever it came out on DVD. So yeah, compared to some of Chan's earlier work, there is other stuff that he does take seriously, especially his early American work, where they didn't really know how to use him. And he they tried to make him your typical tough guy. And obviously, that didn't really resonate with people. But at the same time, he does have a couple of Hong Kong films where he does try and show off he's got a bigger range. But New Police Story, I think, was him trying to tick every box and go, I can be a serious, dramatic actor, and I can cry, and I can look depressed. And then I can immediately flick a switch and give you fight sequences that I was doing when I was in my 20s. And that's what New Police Story always represented for me as far as Jackie goes. I think this was what, in his mind at the time, I think this was basically his, I'm going to prove that I can do everything and it's going to all be excellent. I'm not saying that the film succeeds, but I think that's what he was definitely trying to go for, you know?
1: Yeah, it's... a good point that you you know you're saying uh, i'm not sure if he succeeds succeeded because i guess if you spend so many years watching his previous work and you're used to a certain style it's hard to accept or try to get used to okay he can do other types of movies and yeah he does fit into comedy way better um he has that something about him that just brings positive energy and makes you smile you see him on screen you will expect something funny you expect a dynamic fight scene using the environment in a funny way so you, you you sit there and you expect that and when you don't get exactly that type of comedy you tend to feel disappointed because you're like well that's not what i'm here for this doesn't particularly mean it's bad it's just different um, and it might not be his i guess best area of you know focus where it's obviously comedy and it's always been but yeah it's good as an artist also to try to explore different genres or different types of acting as well. And whatever works, works. And if it doesn't, you don't have to keep doing that. But yeah, I guess for, for the police story, it was that blend of a good story, fitting characters. Although when they chose the cast, they were mainly singers. I guess they were all from the same agency and they kind of just fired all of them. Yeah, they kind of fit the role. Although Nicholas said he, he had some previous acting gigs before that movie as well. But I, I think for what it was and for the roles they needed, they all did, did a good job. You know, as a group, the villains, they were these young kids playing around video games, everything that was cool in the early 2000s they had in the film. So I guess having a, an older Jackie in the story as well, it was a bit funny, right? Because you have a group of young people, they're mainly coming from a C-pop background. And then you have the Jackie Chan, who's also a, tw- a good 20 years older than them, if, if not more. So but it kind of worked. And he also let the other characters do more comedy than he had to do. That was more Nicolas Say's character who was doing the older Jackie version of playing around being being funnier. So yeah, it's some like It's enjoyable. Is it is it the best movie out there? Probably not, but it it works for what it probably tried to do. And it's always good to rewatch it. And I think like you said, every time you go back to watch it again, you discover some more things They're like, oh I don't remember this being this sad. So I don't remember that scene. That makes even more sense. Yeah, it's a good one to read once
0: once in a while. Yeah, I mean, Nicholas C. especially has, you know, by this point he'd already done Gen X Cops and he was in Time and Tide and he's been in a bunch of other stuff. Ironically, he was in The Medallion, but not in an important role. But I think this is when a lot of people really were hoping that he'd take this and run with it, which in fairness, he... Totally did. But like you say, the rest of them came from very different backgrounds. The one that makes me chuckle the most is Daniel Wu, because obviously he would eventually go on to be in Into the Badlands as the main character for a couple of years before, sadly, the show got cancelled. But he really doesn't get any fight scenes in this film. He is just very much there to be the unhinged, broken leader of the lost kids, basically, or the lost boys, I suppose, if you want to go down that route. But, like you say, everybody does a pretty good job, in my opinion. But I remember at the time, it didn't strike it right with a lot of the mainstream audiences. I remember my mum in particular thought that the whole thing was ridiculous and far fetched, and just she was out the second a bunch of teenagers essentially took down an entire police squad with these ridiculous setup devices. And I was in. But I noticed that a lot of people, when you read reviews, that seems to be what they get stuck on. It's the idea that how could five rich kids who've never really amounted to anything actually achieve stuff. And it's funny how that is kind of like the theme of the film is that they're supposed to be underachievers, but they're not. And it's funny that I find that it's typically speaking, it was older people that were looking at this film that struggled with that concept. It's like the idea offended them more so than what they were actually seeing executed on screen. And in that respect, I think, well, the film kind of succeeded then because it wound you up, and that's exactly what happens in the film. That's true.
1: That's very true. And when it comes to reviews and people being against the newer movies, newer movies, which are older movies now, but, yeah, I, I mean, if, if you're used to certain type of films and then suddenly something more modern comes out, they're exploring some more modern aspects, you'd be like, mm, not sure about this. At least in my case, I watched New Police Story alongside a lot of other films that Jackie did that were older or more even newer than this one. So I was, I guess, born in a generation where I was still young, way too young, you know, to watch any of those. So they all kind of I watched them all at the same time because I had a lot of catch up because I wasn't even born when the other movies came out in the 80s. So obviously I was not really part of that generation who watched every single movie coming out every year and seeing that Evolve, but i took everything as it was from year 2000 whatever and watched them in one go so to say so yeah i I didn't really have you know that kind of shock that you have when you realize oh what are you doing it's modern because even i mean 2004 i was in second grade so i was at seven years also yeah, it's a bit too young to even see. Oh, this is an older movie. There's a young, I guess even when I watched Dunkin' Master, I could see it's an old movie, but I couldn't really tell how old it was at that age. So I was just, yeah, it's funny. I'm going to watch it. And I watched those all with dubbed in German. So that's horrible. But uh, that's what I got. That's what was on TV. So I grew up with a German speaking Gaki. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. And then obviously you grow up and you learn, oh, wait, they're speaking English or that one is filmed in Cantonese. or that. And then you start discovering, you know, later on, all sorts of dubbing. Like This is dubbed in English, but they're actually speaking Cantonese. Oh, OK, that makes sense because their mouth movement is weird. But when you grow up then with all movies in German, you'd be like, yeah, they all kind of have weird mouth movements. So yeah so that's the whole experience as you grow up and you realize oh okay okay let me give me a second i need to all position these into the right categories and yes yeah, so it's, it's definitely a generational thing where i i mean every generation has that at some point probably we're gonna get to a point where we don't want to accept certain things or ai or whatever else comes in where you're a bit more skeptical like, mm, you know i like it the way we did it back in the days kind of thing but yeah, I yeah even I mean the kind of technology they use in the new police story is very much old technology now or like whatever the teenagers these days would say like oh, it's very outdated or the video games they are playing they look kind of bad <laughs> yeah but back then it was obviously new and cool and you just took it as it was.
0: Yes, I resonated with a lot of what you said then. I'm I'm, I'm gonna go I'm gonna retroactively get back to where you just stopped, but I've, I've spoken to a lot of people on this show who have had different stories about how they became action movie fans. And I think you might be the first person to say that they watched dubbed Jackie Chan films in German. I've had French Alex Rallo shout out to you, man. He was telling us about how he had to go to not so uh, legal markets in the heart of Paris and try to find bootleg Chinese DVDs dubbed in French. But you are definitely the first person who grew up watching them in German. And I think the funniest thing, as you just pointed out, is it's an English dub, but they're actually speaking Cantonese. But even if you actually watch the Cantonese version, it's still dubbed because they didn't record audio when they made these films. So the yeah. lips still don't properly match up and the expressions still don't quite match because they were dubbing themselves anyway. So it's always funny to hear people's obsession with how good or bad a dub is. And you think, well, even if you're watching in the original language, it's still technically a dub. but. It's just like you say, One are those things that doesn't really happen anymore? The Well, at least not in most film markets. But saying that this film is very much, if you showed it to kids today, they'd say it's old. And I detest that fact. But yes, you're right, they would. And the fact that this film is 19 years old is why, which is just heartbreaking to say out loud. But the video game elements, the music that plays throughout the film, the fact that The kids go to X Games as a way to chill out and enjoy themselves. Everything about this film is the early 2000s, which is obviously nostalgic for myself, because that was the time that I was a teenager. And from the sounds of it, you're a little bit younger than me, but you clearly were around then as well and had those memories. And it is so weird to go back and remember, oh, yeah, this is kind of, these were all the, the cool things. These were the popular things. And oh, look, all of this state-of-the-art technology that is probably, there's more power in my phone than there is in all of those computers in the police Hong Kong unit, or not Hong Kong, but, you know, in the police unit. And it just, yeah, all that sort of stuff doesn't bother me in the slightest. But like you said, unfortunately, it will bother a subset of people that try to watch movies that are older than they are.
1: It does. And maybe some people sometimes just take it way too seriously. It's just a movie it's fiction and it's just you sit down for an hour and a half and enjoy a movie <laughs> that's all it is yeah sometimes all this thinking it, it is unnecessary and even saying for example yeah, it is outdated when it comes to the technology they're using but when if you look at teenagers in every generation every generation has their own troubles every generation tries to rebel against their parents even if it was in the 60s and the 70s we all did it in our generation. If my generation, that was the emos. These days, there's a different trend and a different way of uh, showing we are different. We are teenagers. Nobody understands us. And if there's obviously childhood trauma in play as well, then it's a whole different level of I want to hate my parents and I want to do something to show them, you know, I rule the world and whatever. So. They did a great job showing that and no matter which generation you are looking at, yet yeah, they all did that. So it still would resonate with current teenagers watching that and saying that, like, you know what, they're wrong, but they're right. And, and that's, you know, a great, great storytelling. So I'm really um, enjoying that aspect.
0: Well, I think you've also just hit the nail on the head of a part of the story that I was curious to hear your opinion on, because when I say that, they really hint at the fact that Joe Kwan, he was basically abused as a kid. And from what we see, his dad isn't the greatest dad. And they never really explain whether or not the abuse he suffered was at the hands of his dad or someone else. Doesn't really matter. It messed him up. It's the reason why he is the way he is. But the rest of the characters, outside of exposition and some dialogue, you don't really get to see what it was like for them, why they're involved, other than the fact that they're just following the orders of Joe because he has a magnetic personality when he's not in the presence of his parents. And like you say, he's very rebellious, he's got a lot of issues, and he's pretty much letting it out in the wrong way. And the interesting thing is, I was thinking, would it be different if they made it today? Would it reframe it as the kids being the victims and they'd all get help stroke happy endings, which might happen, might not. But then I realized that there is pretty much zero chance of that happening, given where this film was made. And I actually do wonder if there was an underlying temptation to try and get through this idea that, like you just said, the kids are wrong for what they're doing, but their motives and their rationale is understandable, given what it's implied that they may have all been through. But again, we don't get an answer to that. But there's no way that a film made in China was ever going to frame the bad guys as the good guys and say that the police were wrong for hunting them down and they all die, basically, at the end. And they make that crystal clear with another character, which is the policeman that stole the money and used it to pay off his debts, which was Sam. The only way that they were able to make him basically be a hero in inverted commas again is he had to die for the sins of the fact that he went against the state and went against all of his colleagues and was technically the one responsible for Chan's entire team getting killed. So it just got me thinking, like, do you think that if the story was to be done, would was it more a case of the times that stopped it from going down the route of understanding more now? Or do you think it's purely the fact that it was made in China?
1: Mm, yes. It's an interesting question because it obviously can get political very easily. Now, I'm assuming I I would agree. I don't think you would be able to do the same type of movie today and film it over there. It will take a completely different turn and shape. I'm not really sure if, if they were trying to portray the police in that sense and obviously have the other characters being in the fault. It's a tricky one. Storytelling wise, if probably the the movie would be now shot anywhere else, you could explore the same story in, in a different way or in the same way once again. now, being political or not, I think I would still enjoy seeing a similar movie that would end up more or less in the same place because you don't feel like there's there's no happy ending, and that that's quite enjoyable because it makes it even more so tragic that there' are some certain things that you do in life as a parent as a child that can't be reversed and that shows in the movie that it doesn't matter if you were wrong or you were right in what you did you now you have to deal with the consequences and even for the head of police i'm pretty sure i haven't seen the movie in quite a while but i'm pretty sure he was the one treating his son badly and, and traumatizing him and obviously that's why his son then hates, particularly the police because of his dad but then His dad obviously being in the position of him being the chief and then also trying to raise his son in his own strict way, which was wrong, led to the consequences of losing his own son, which he didn't take easily because it was was his son. But uh, yes, it's a bunch of decisions taken from both sides that led to the ending that is not a happy ending, but it seems to be the most perfect ending you could pick for a story like that and even for S character that has the backstory with the jacket and his own dad and how he decided to help out Jackie's character. That was also quite interesting. So yeah, I I think it could be shot in a bunch of different ways and they all might be great but when it comes to the remakes probably sometimes you should just leave movies as they are and just do a new story. There's so many new stories out there that can be explored and some movies have to just be let there, you know, as they were, and you should um, move on to different stories. Like Agent Zero Zero, for example. Not joking, but, you know, <laughs> it's one of those situations. But, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's my take on it, and I think everyone can have a different opinion, and all opinions are, in that sense, valid, because it's fiction, and you can do pretty much everything you want with the fiction story.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%, for sure. But I'm just going to ask you, like, how well do you remember this film?
1: In every detail, I do remember quite well, but I don't really remember character names. I, I never remember character names, so I call them by Oh, the don't acting.
0: worry. <laughs> when one of your characters is called Fire, I don't think even they thought about worrying about character <laughs> names. <laughs> True. Uh, no, no, that's fine. It was just, I didn't want to start talking about, like, specific scenes because you just said you hadn't seen it in a while and I no, suddenly went...
1: I think I remember it pretty well.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. So, obviously, you've got Jackie playing this really different character. And in the beginning of the film, like you said, you get to see him drunk and he's doing really badly. And then we get flashbacks to basically how he ended up there. And since you made a point of saying that, you know, you really liked seeing this different aspect to him, does it work for you the way that it all unfolds with the way his team was taken apart and he kind of breaks down whilst he's trying to save them? Because that's the only bit that I sometimes can't make up my mind on. The rest of his acting throughout the film, I think, is flawless. I think he sells being depressed, and I think he sells the quieter breakdowns really well. And obviously, we all know he can play a drunk guy. I mean, he, that's pretty much been what he's been doing since the late 70s. But it's just one of those things where I know it's because it's Chinese film production, and even Hong Kong, they love their melodramatic stuff. but. When he has that sort of outbursts when he's still trying to save their lives, it's it's almost so over the top that when he then has his more introspective, quiet meltdown, breakdown, however you want to look at it in the next scenes, it's like, but you've already kind of done that. It's like you went so far over the top that it's, you didn't have anywhere to go after that. That wasn't just more crying, you know?
1: Yeah, I think realistically speaking, I mean, with the, it scene that you mentioned with him losing his team. That's honestly one of my favorite scenes <laughs> because I guess if you if you jump into the movie without knowing anything about it, like I did when I first watched it, I was not expecting it to have such a dark turn, and maybe that's why that scene is the one that marked me the most you go and it's a Jackie movie, you think, oh, it's a police story. Whatever, obviously maybe there's some shooting, there's some people getting hurt or whatever, but you were not expecting it to be that that tragic in the first five, ten minutes of the film. Now still because it is a Jackie film, at least how I felt when I first watched it, you still you were expecting it to turn funny. Like, okay. Am I laughing now? When is it funny? When is the joke coming? But then it just <laughs> progressively just gets worse and worse and worse. And as you mentioned, where, where the scene where he loses his comrades and if that fits his character, I think it does because it to me seems authentic of how you would react when you are in a, such a role. So you're leading a team, you're responsible for them. One of them is even your family member or soon to be family member, if I remember that correctly. So you have that yeah. sense of responsibility. Yeah, you are the oldest in age in grades, and you are telling them what to do. So it doesn't matter. You know you are helpless too, but you are leading them into that mission. You are leading them down there, and you're telling them what to do. And then if they are then you know killed in the, in certain scenes or take certain decisions after you gave them a certain order, it still makes you feel like it's your fault and that you should have been a better leader. That's obviously. Later on, you think you could just be a better parent, a better whatever. But in his case, that very much what happened there marked his the rest of his career where he even refused in all the drunken scenes. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to go back. And whatever he hated himself for what happened there. But obviously, if you look from the outside, you would say, there's no other way he could have reacted if they are these new young kids there I have so much power over your entire team, which sounds ridiculous, but let's say it happens and that's what it is. And if they're asking you, okay, let's play around, let's have a fight. Whoever has whatever points wins. And then if not, I'm taking another one of your team down. And you do whatever they ask you to do because you are uh, helpless. And uh, being in our moment, I guess, even if that would happen in real life, I'm not sure you can react better or in a different way when you're in such a position. So I think the portrayal of that character in that specific scene is authentic. And even when the explosion is about to happen and he still wants to gather his entire team and take them all out, although he knows they are all dead. There's no point. Uh, and you'd rather just try to save yourself. But I guess in the moment, you are just so much fixated on this is my... Fault. I messed up. I'm not a good leader. I'm never gonna be a good leader. At least I want to save them. But when you you know so worked up of what happened, you don't even think clearly anymore. And then it happens. What what happens in that scene? So I think it's really well portrayed. And every time I I get to rewatch the movie, I get pretty um, emotional in that scene. And I think it's just really good storytelling. And yes as as I said, my favorite scene that I, I took and the emotions I felt when I when I watched that. So I took to Agent Zero Zero as well, and yeah, when when people will read, they will get you know that same energy of being like, oh, okay, she you know took inspiration from from that story of what she felt when she watched that, and a certain bits of as I said, uh, helplessness and just a blame you take as a police chief uh, when you're responsible for a team.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And you also just said one of my favorite moments in the film from an action point of view is as someone that now watches a lot of modern day films and has become kind of numb to all of the CGI effects that we have now, you know, with explosions, especially that ridiculous explosion that Jackie runs away from is insane. And it's real and it's him in it. And you just wouldn't get that from anyone. Well, maybe Tom Cruise, but you wouldn't get that from most people these days. You wouldn't be allowed to. On the fact that, uh, The explosion pretty much almost got him. And like there were literally crew members trying to get him out of the blast radius. And he was basically telling them to go away because it will ruin the shot. And that whole runaway sequence in the slow motion where you see everything just coming down around him. It works on a double level for me because number one, it looks absolutely fantastic. It's well shot. It's a fantastic stunt. And it looks amazing. That explosion is so over the top. But it also is a nice metaphor for exactly what is happening to Jackie Chan at that moment, because everything is falling down around him and his life is blowing up. And, uh, you know, he's lost all of his men. And even though he might get out of it alive, his life isn't ever going to be the same. And like you say, he's going to have, as we know, because the whole film is about it. He has all that guilt for that he carries around with him. And everybody else, more importantly, blames him. And that sort of serious tone, as you said, it was very, very different than what American and Western audiences were used to with Jackie Chan, especially if you only know his English-speaking roles. And I think that this was the film that for a lot of people showed a different side to him, but also the director, Benny Chan, who made some absolute classics over the years. I don't think he gets enough credit with this one in particular. I know a lot of action fans really enjoy the fight scenes and yeah, they're spectacular in this film. And we'll, I'll definitely get to that. But I agree with you that the storytelling sometimes gets a back seat because I think it struggled to shake that initial reception that it's far fetched or it's unrealistic or however you want to phrase it. But I think if you're getting hung up on the unrealisticness of a Jackie Chan movie, whether it be his serious works or his comedy works, you're watching the wrong movies, guys. It's like, that's not what he's about. It's about entertainment. And entertainment, in this case, comes from a much darker place. But it is still just a piece of entertainment. Like you said, it's not something that you should be overanalyzing to be super serious about how things would realistically go down.
1: It, it's exactly what it is, right? And it's like you said, it's a metaphor for, really for everything that's happening to his character in the entire Film. And yeah, the fact that the explosions are real, the action is real, adds to that feeling of, you, you feel that energy, you feel that emotion because it's real. Yeah. If you watch a lot of CGI films these days, or even current Jackie's movies that are very, very heavy on CGI, you just kind of sit oh, there yeah. and like, yeah, whatever. I've seen that, been there, done that, and it just doesn't, it can be ground, it can be big explosions, whatever, like, I don't feel anything. And that's a big problem. But yeah, obviously you don't really want any more actors to do crazy stunts like Jackie did. It's not never gonna be a second one, and that shouldn't be the case because he says yeah, you have the technology to not do the stuff he did, and obviously he was trained to do the stuff that he did. So it's not really recommended to try to replicate that entirely. But yeah, the fact that the acting can come across as surreal well, if something really explodes behind you, you will run away from it. Feeling that emotion of I need to get out of here. Doesn't matter these are just actors lying around here, and I have to push them out. Make, I need to get out of here. And That comes across on screen, and that comes across in a, in a lot of movies where he indeed does jump off of certain buildings, jumps, grabs helicopters, and whatever other like crazy things he did. That emotion is real. It's not a green screen where you need to act as if you're terrified. You are terrified because you might die doing that stunt. So that comes across and that's what made him so great in his
0: filmmaking. Yeah, I completely agree. There is some green screen used in this film in very like sparing places. But with one exception, I think that it's done in a way that you don't get distracted by it. I mean, again, you can't really judge a film that's nearly 20 years old and complain that the effects when they are used aren't perfect. But the only time it stood out to me was in the sailing sequence where the kids are all flying down the side of a building. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember the early 2000s green screen effects. They've not <laughs> aged well. But who cares? <laughs> but
1: at least it's true. At least in these scenes, when they were going down buildings, they were actually physically doing that, although they, they had some wire work or whatever, but yeah. they still put the actors through that. So it's way different than now just being in a, in a studio and replicating that in the safest way possible. So they still did put people through. You can see some, some bits when they're jumping off a railing and they all... Uh, you can see that wire work there, but you also were not expecting from more than to risk it, uh, their lives the same way Jackie would. So that's probably the early days when you could see that slowly you started incorporating wire work and special effects that then started year after year to become a bit more visible to the point where you just be like, you know what, <laughs> this is too much. But it's also just newer generations. You can't expect from current stunt people to be as Well, trained the way they were back in the days where the rules were way different, and you can't do movies the same way you could do that 40, 50 years ago where everything went whatever. Someone broke their leg. Yeah, it happens every day. That guy almost killed himself. That's fine. You know, you're going to replace him with another guy because we have all these circus kids out there, and everybody is pretty much involved in martial arts and acrobatics. You don't have that these days, and you you shouldn't. It's obviously a lot of trained martial artists out there, but they, it's not safe and nobody will let them do things like they, they did back in the day. So that's something also to take into consideration when people sometimes watch movies and go, ah, oh, they did it better in that movie and whatever, whatever. Yeah, but different times, times are changing and when technology is getting better, sometimes the human effort is getting less interesting because they don't have to do certain things anymore. But, and that's both sad and great. But having a good blend of technology and still good performance is key and it's good to see you and, I mean, Tom Cruise or actors like him are are going out and doing their own stunts, but obviously within the safety limits of today's cinematography.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, Tom Cruise can basically do it for the same reason that Jackie Chan could do it. Well, many of them could do it back in the day, which is that... Tom Cruise is writing his own checks. He is literally the person in insuring all of his films. So if he gets injured, the only person that can take it up with him is himself. And I'm pretty sure he's not going to claim. He won't let any of the other actors in his productions do the crazy things he does because then it would be an issue if they got injured. But if he gets injured, it's like, well, it's only me that's going to be out of pocket if the whole movie has issues and I'm going to pay everyone. And it was the same for Jackie Chan. You know, many of the Jackie Chan stunt teams members will tell you that the reason that they were willing to do as you said some things that weren't safe and they knew it was because if it did go wrong which on occasion it did that jackie would personally pay the hospital bills keep paying you what you were supposed to be earning while making the film and look after you you know it wouldn't just leave you in the lurch which is what a lot of big triple a hollywood movies will do to this day If a stunt person gets hurt on set, they go, oh, no, how sad. You've lost an arm and you're crippled for life. Well, we've got a movie to make. Good luck with that. Bye. I'm looking at you, Resident Evil. So, yeah, you know, I get it it, to 100% what you were saying. But, like, there's a reason why all of those guys that came up in the Peking Opera School are uh, the way they are and they're as good as they are and why all their films have stood the test of time. And, you know, that they basically all of the people that went to that school became the new Wave. 1980s hong kong film scene and a lot of that influence then bled into the rest of the world even if people didn't realize it but as you say times have changed and people have changed and the people that were stunt men and women in this time are now the stunt choreographers the directors they're much higher up behind the scenes because they're getting to the point where they don't want to keep doing the stunts because they're getting on and now they're teaching the next generation and they've got the benefit of having worked with all of these people that were doing these crazy things and they were doing them too, but now they can direct other people, how to do them with all of the advancements with modern technology and the budgets, hopefully, to make sure that they can still do crazy stuff, but it's a heck of a lot safer than, you know, like as I think it's in one of the outtakes of this movie where Jackie's literally hanging off the side of a building and there isn't a harness or, a decelerator or anything that you might think of in modern settings. It's literally just a rope around his waist and you could see the guys just holding him at the top. And yeah, that just wouldn't happen today.
1: <laughs> it wouldn't, and it wouldn't let it happen. And it's one thing, it is indeed insurance, that side of the story, and you pick productions that don't really care about the person behind the stunt that's one thing. But it's also the the type of training they had from a very, very young age is more rare now looking at the people that are currently in the film industry and are currently doing stunts. It doesn't matter how often we go to a martial arts club and train taekwondo and train whatever. You're still not, I would say, as qualified as that little kid that spent whatever hours a day in pain doing what their master was telling them to do. And there was Punishments, there was a lot, of, a lot of horrible things you wouldn't want a kid to go through, but that's what made them get to a performance that you would know exactly what you were doing because of the background you have in training. So, the flexibility, everything that comes with it, you don't really get from a going two times a week to a martial arts club, I'm getting a black belt and whatever, everybody has a black belt these days. It doesn't mean you're qualified to go on set, and that's sometimes sad when i mean not said, but it's a bit interesting we see a a lot of some people coming out these days and they're all jobs and obviously i am not a stunt person myself and i am not qualified either i did train some martial arts so by no means i am good at doing any of these things so i'm not sure how much i can have an opinion here but sometimes you can see they are not qualified enough not even in martial arts or not even a specific stuns they do but then they do show up on sets and they book jobs and then you see a yeah, person is not really qualified. You can be a second or third or fourth done black belt and whatever, but that's all you do and you do kick around a bit and even your form isn't that great because obviously they need uh, clubs need to sell belts these days and that's what it is. It doesn't make you qualify and it doesn't make you qualify to do certain crazy stunts they did even if they didn't have belts. But they were good. They were just and they could take pain. I don't think a lot of our generation today can't take pain the same way you would, uh, our parents' generation, or our grandparents would take. And uh, you can see that not just stance in general, just education. I, I would say um, even emotionally, which I don't say it was better, but even when I was raised in an Eastern European household where a lot of things were allowed, which in a Western household, you wouldn't do. So it's more of a, let's call it more brutal upbringing that, you know, you discipline a kid in a different way that you wouldn't. Or my grandparents or even my parents, the way they were disciplined was different. That also helps, yeah, you can get to a certain level and, and qualification because you're forced to do it. You hate it, you will hate your master, you will hate your parents, you hate whoever puts you through that. But at the end of the day, you will thank them years later because they made you into who you are and who you became later on to do in your career, but it's definitely not a fun journey and it's not easy. So it's not something I would say recommend, right? Send your young kids to whatever brutal clubs and let them, you know, be beaten up there to do whatever splits you need them to do. And, but no, but that also means they can take those hits. They take it differently. And that's also different now when you hire qualified people or black belts or whatever, they won't take it the same way Jackie's gener- generation uh, did.
0: I look forward to the inevitable responses you're going to get to that particular segment of this episode from people listening.
1: (laughs) I'm just speaking the truth. I'm not pointing fingers either.
0: But no, I mean, I agree with some of what you just said. And I think a great example is Jackie Chan himself had that difficulty uh, with martial artists that couldn't keep up with him and couldn't get you know they couldn't do the timings they couldn't get the choreography down and sometimes martial artists that I'm talking about serious dedicated uh fighters especially people who've actually been in combat they can be the worst people to try and make films with not always you know but in general when you've spent decades of your life learning how to do things the way that they're supposed to be done that's not how you need to do them on film and this is quite a well documented and known thing now But back when, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't so well known and it was a lot of assumptions would be made, especially by people watching movies. And yeah, just because you are, as you said, a seventh down black belt, it doesn't mean you can just walk into a film set and know the best way to throw a kick so that it looks great on camera and you don't hurt the person you're kicking. You don't want to be the next Steven Seagal that's actually throwing stump people through tables because you think it makes you a hard man. Oh, God. The (laughs) idea is, yeah. The idea is, is that you're supposed to be doing it in a way that looks like it's happening, but it isn't actually happening. And yeah, there's, you know, every, I think every stuntman has a story where they did just let themselves get punched or kicked because that is how you got the shot and it looked the best. And some actors are willing to do that as well, especially in the independent movie space. But I feel like if you're willing to do that, then that's absolutely fine. There's no, if you're volunteering, that's up to you. But if you're exactly. coming into it, if volunteering, you're coming in, right?
1: it's volunteering yeah, yeah. and being open to, okay, I put myself out there. If I want to work crazy hours to get my project done because it's my passion project, whatever it is, it means because it's yours and you want to put yourself willingly to that you can't really expect uh, people on the same set or working with you as a team for whatever project, you can't expect them to be as dedicated or to put in the same hours or same risks as you do because they might not feel the same way. And that's, yeah, also a thing to take into consideration.
0: Well, the other thing as well is I don't know how uh what New Police Story had, but another thing that people don't realise is I imagine that New Police Story had a long time to choreograph its fights i imagine it had a lot of people involved in making sure it had the best locations the best people working on it behind the scenes that were available because it was made in china it had a big budget for a chinese film and it's jackie chan starring who everybody kind of knows that if he's making a film in china things just will get out of his way so that he can do what he wants especially back then when he was still a mega star in both the east and the west but You're talking about a passion project. Most action movies, because they're usually independently made, so they get the labeled with the B-movie tag, but they're usually made in like 20 days, if that, some of them. And that they do not have the time to intricately spend three months rehearsing. They don't have the time to find the perfect location. They can't afford mistakes when they're actually filming. And a lot of the time, There's no rehearsal they might rehearse on the day and then but sometimes they're literally learning the choreography on the day to perform in an hour's time you compare that with a massive multi-million dollar movie that hollywood makes that shoots over a period of six or seven months and it's impossible to look at one and go oh well this is obviously better when you don't factor in the ridiculous difference in the effort and the power that went into making it but at the same time, the tiny little twenty day feature film is making me enjoy its fight scenes and has better comedy because it is a passion project, like you said, it is somebody that genuinely wants to make a good film versus somebody that is hoping that this will make millions of dollars
1: yeah, definitely and sometimes, yeah as you said, it's more enjoyable to see an independent movie that might not be perfect and you can obviously even if you you know you may go an indie film let's say and then You, when people review it and you might get some bad reviews for certain bits where the quality might be low here or there, or would have liked this scene to look like that. Because people obviously like to give their opinions. They should, because that's why you put your project out there. And then sometimes filmmakers try to explain, oh, you know, we had only this much money and this much time, which is a good and bad answer at the same time. Because yes, you have to appreciate the effort that is put in there with so little money and so little time to do something at a certain level. That's amazing, and that's great, and a big production with millions and millions in budget didn't get to do a fight scene, for example, as you said, as good as that little indie film, but yeah, it can come with other downsides too, where yeah, if you had more money or more time, you could have done better so yeah it's it's obviously not a situation where you want to try to find yourself excuses and say, Well, you know, I didn't have money for that. Nobody cares. You know, people do rent your movie, buy a movie or go to the cinema and they just they will judge you the same way they judge a big production. But sometimes it is indeed not fair because the big productions had so much and so many people so much time and they still couldn't do a better fight scene than you did as an indie film. So in that aspect it's good to be proud when you do a project and it turns out well and you you know can be proud of it because one should
0: And speaking of passion projects we'll come back to the action of new police story in a moment but obviously what triggered this conversation as we said at the very beginning is that you were inspired partly by this film to write agent double o so what is the story that you can tell people for agent double o for those that may have been interested because quite clearly you are a passionate individual about what you want to make and you want control over it as you said so Tell people about it. I'm sure there are many listeners that would be interested in tracking it down when it's out.
1: Yeah, well, Agent Zero Zero, the, the first volume, because now it's a trilogy, but only published in Romania. So this is the first volume that comes out in English now for the English-speaking readers. It's a an action comedy. It has some drama. It has some fantasy in there. The story itself, the first volume is set in um, two different timelines. Now, one timeline happens during the Dragon Dynasty where a curse falls over a princess, then two generals and a pickpocket have to have to escort the princess to escape the, the curse. And then the story moves 2000 years later to Hong Kong, where a team of three agents and a thief have to dive into the underground world of the triads and find a main, let's say, bad guy who then is tied to their boss's backstory. And I, that's where that kind of, you know, new police story of, oh, there's more layers to it. there's more layers. But yeah, in a nutshell, that's what those two timelines are. And then they start connecting somehow, whereas the characters still don't know, am I now being, is that the recognition of me? Because I can remember, maybe I had a past life, but yeah, that that's still stays in two separate timelines. So yeah, the first one is very much inspired from the myth. kind of like, Although it's not really that type of a story, but I took a little bit of everything from, from that.
0: To be honest, when you were describing it then, I was literally going to say, that sounds more like the myth than it does New Police <laughs> <It's>, Story.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, so it is, yes, um, in, in the, you know, the ancient, in the ancient times, it's a bit of that. Although it's not hardcore wuxia, although it has occurs, you know, it's fantasy. And then when you move to Hong Kong, ages later, uh, it's more the action, the police story, where it's less fantasy and it's more just, you know, had combat stuff more grounded and less, let's fly around and, you know, the wushet thing, but they do connect. They do connect in in the next two books as well. But yeah, it's more or less what the, the story is about. It's a blend of, of we now discussing Jackie, the myth and police story, so
0: to say. Hey, I like both of those films. I mean, the myth is one of those ones that sadly a lot of people consider a misfire, but I've always had a soft spot for that one. And I personally, really enjoyed seeing Jackie Chan in what is essentially a, a role he didn't really get to do which was the old-fashioned wuxia hero with the sword and the shield and be that general type character that was quite a bit vicious to be honest when he was fighting he did kind of play a role like that a couple times afterwards but the myth was really the first time he got to do that sort of sword and shield fantasy whilst also still having a modern day element to it so yeah the idea of blending the bits of the myth that I liked with the bits of New Police Story that everybody liked, I think, is a, it's not a bad place to start if that's going to get people's attention. I hope so. <laughs> you said that Sorry, go on. the other two volumes are already published, but they're in Romanian, is that right?
1: That is correct, yeah. Um, this volume was written eight years ago, so I was 2015 when it came out, and it was Romania's first martial arts action novel, so I was Let's say the first author out there who started diving into these kind of topics. And I had to practice my English and wait some more. I did a translation a few le- years after that. I wasn't really that happy with it, but it was a start. I did a screenplay and I moved slowly up to translating more. That is coming for Bodyguard. I was published in 2019 in English after the 2017 Romanian novella, and I was again, not happy with the translation. So I took that down. I think some sellers are still somewhere selling on on Amazon, but I don't recommend that version of the translation. But that was my early days of trying to translate books where if it's your third language and it's literature, it's not easy and you just don't want to mess up a story that also you care so much about. So then at the June storm, which again, was a translation published the beginning of this year. So I wouldn't say I care less about June Storm, but it was one of those where I can say I can play around with this, and if it's not that great of a translation, fine. We can move on. We can learn some more. So to get then in these eight years to agent and say I think I'm now ready to translate that myself and not completely mess it up. <laughs> There's a lot of bits of that are lost in translation. I think when it comes to the humor, it's obviously it's comedy, but I do like doing comedy through the way of I'm um, um, expressing things as well, which sometimes you can't do from a language to another that might be lost. So I had to find the equivalence or leave it out at, at completely. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting journey and it's definitely something for me to, you know, improve and look back and say, okay, that wasn't good, but at least I can acknowledge and I can see it. I don't know how to do it better, but I can see this is wrong. So for the next book, for the next story, I can, I can improve and do it better. Uh, my partner is also always reading whatever I'm translating, and he's just you know, pointing out what's wrong and having a good check out the English side of things because yeah, it's not easy to translate something on the language you didn't you didn't grow up speaking. But yeah, that's the journey with it, and I hope to soon at some point bring the second and third volume to the English market as well. Now it will just depend on how well this first volume um, does. But luckily with, with an English story, there's a bigger market and I, yeah, you can sell that more internationally and have more people be interested in it because obviously just for Romania, it's just one country and people don't really buy many books over there too. So it was hard. It is hard to make it as a Romanian author only. And even so, with the given situation and everything happening over there, I think I still did quite right for myself as a writer and yeah starting from an early age gave me that head start of okay i can now um, say i have i have a history and a background and i know where i need to improve to get where i want to be to one day you know screenplays and whatever or some transitioning to films properly and all of that but takes a lot of working on myself before i expect anything bigger to happen
0: yeah definitely and i mean just speaking as me here it's You managed to publish three books, or they might be in a country that, like you said, doesn't have the biggest market, but no matter what language the story's in, you published three books and potentially more from the sounds of it. And that's more books than half the people that say they want to write a book will ever publish. You know, it's... Yeah, it's true. I mean,
1: as as you said, some people, you know, when you say, I want to do this, I want to do that. What martial arts really gave me, even if I'm not... You know, your biggest martial artist out there, or by no means a stunned woman or anything like that. But it gave me that discipline of when I'm starting something, I will keep at it until it's finished and it's done. And if not, I will hate myself for not doing that. And that is something that if if anything I can take away from training in martial arts or watching martial arts movies, is that spirit that you have as a fighter right you want to fight for your own career for your own future and you have that discipline of sitting down for hours and hours and hours because it's not easy and it won't just happen just like that saying you know i write a lot of books and whatever yeah but nobody's always you know asks how long that take you or how many hours did you put in? Cause you don't always go out there shouting, yeah, that took me so many, you know, this weekend I only wrote. Yeah. Sometimes you'd be like, Oh, what, what are you up to? Yeah. I'm just writing on this new story or whatever, but it is indeed just you in a chair and sitting there <laughs> on your laptop and typing and typing and typing. So it does take a certain amount of discipline to give up and to, yeah basically punish yourself to you. Know, sit down here and do this now. Um, it's it's like training, right? It's not enjoyable maybe all the time in the process, but it, yeah, once you are there and it's done and you're happy with your own project, yeah, that's what makes you, you know, always go back and do it again and again and again. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's definitely the right attitude to have. And also the fact that in terms of the translation, you said about the fact that you're aware of the things that don't necessarily translate particularly well. So you either are not going to include it or you're going to change it to something that does make more sense to English speakers. That's actually something that I feel like a lot of translations lack, because especially if you want to talk about media in film and animation that gets translated from certain languages or it gets subtitled, it doesn't actually always make sense just dumping it into English or whatever the language is, because you need that localization to actually take what makes sense in one country, but these customs do not exist in another country or in any other country in some cases. And I feel like that's been lost because there's a growing need in inverted commas or a desire to want to have the original culture of the works that was written in represented as written, which is an understandable desire. But there's a reason that people used to localize much more heavily than they do now. And that's because you need the new market to actually understand the context and the subtext of what it is that you're writing or what it is that you're seeing and etc, etc. And I feel like unless you can get that balance right, and it sounds like you're trying to go for that balance where you still want to keep exactly what you meant, and it's still your work, but you'll know that what makes sense for somebody reading this in Romania is not going to make sense for somebody who may read this in America or the UK or wherever it might be. And it needs to be something that's universal so that everybody can still understand exactly what you meant and still find it funny or still find it impactful, whatever it might be. And to be honest, that's more important than actually the English making sense. In my mind, it's like, you need to get the audience to actually understand and care about what it is that they're reading, rather than worrying about whether or not the syntax of English is correct. You know,
1: I agree. It's it's the same thing when you try to uh, do a remake for uh, whatever movie, and it always has to have an American remake, and that's so unnecessary at times. Where you just just leave it in the original version, and so what? You have subtitles. Yeah, just just do some reading and watch the movie. It doesn't always have to be you know to have different english version all the time because that's for the western audience well you can get used to a different country's customs by watching more of their movies and trying to understand but yeah when it comes to um books and translations you want to sell that in that specific language so it has to make sense but it's a good point that you said sometimes you can glance over um, mistakes or you know grammar or certain mistakes where you say like oh it's not it's not a mistake but you wouldn't really say that in English I had those kind of issues where you would read it and you say okay it, it's it does make perfect sense grammatically but an English speaker wouldn't say it this way it just sounds weird so that that is that was mainly my problem but yeah I, I agree that. That's less important when you compare it to just making the experience enjoyable. And as long as uh, the reader understands what you're trying to say uh, and it's a fun read, then yeah, that's your job done there. And it's something that I need to get used to as well. And because making my own translations, the, the the good thing about it is that I know what I try to say and I try to replicate that as good as possible, where a different translator would not care the same way, or maybe wouldn't understand it the same way I wanted to put that. But it has a bedside as well, where you would just be very much attached to it. Then say, no, no, that joke has to be that joke because it's really good. But then you realize it just doesn't make any sense in English. And I, you would just have a reader. sit so there like, what? And then you just get angry or skip a page or whatever. That's not something you want. And that's something I had to let go of and say, it is not funny in English. Just let it be. <laughs> But it's hard because, you know, you came up with a really great way of phrasing something and you're so excited about it and it does make sense in one and only one language and then you just can't replicate that and it's just annoying. But I found with Agent Zero Zero this time, I found some other jokes I could actually throw in there that didn't exist in the Romanian version and I had to obviously take some out that were in the Romanian version. I didn't work in English. So I hope I did achieve some sort of balance there with the comedy. Um, but. Um yeah, I hope it does come across the same way that Romanian version does, although a bit different. But yeah, I hope that's still you know, as enjoyable as the um, initial um, book.
0: I'm sure it will. And when the book does come out in September, I'll make sure that it gets blasted on social media by the Action Addicts accounts. So at the very least, even uh, we'll try and make sure that people are aware that it comes out because hopefully it does well because it's an action book. and. From the sounds of it, you've got a great set of ideas about what it is you'd like to see in stories for films. So fingers crossed it does well enough that it might help you find some open doors to to walk through in the world of film. Thank you. (laughs) But going back to New Police Story, I'm not going to go through it like I do in a lot of episodes because this is a long ass film. So we've already kind of hit on a lot of the facts. Oh sorry. We've already kind of hit on a lot of the emotional beats that we both enjoyed and both liked. But in terms of the actual action performance, I would actually say, and it's not entirely true, but I have always felt that this is Jackie Chan's encore. This is the last film where Jackie Chan decided that he's gonna take in one last deep breath and just go and the fight sequences because like you said he does still make films and to be blunt they're not great and unfortunately they still do really well which i'm happy for him but it means we just keep getting more not particularly great jackie chan films i mean his most recent one that was on netflix with john cena hidden strike i don't know a single person personally that actually liked it but it was like number one on netflix so of course we're going to end up with more Like it, which again, cool. I'm happy. I'm happy he's still working. But for me, rewatching New Police Story was like, oh yeah, this really was the last time he went all out with his fight scenes and with his stunt work. And it feels like it's him going, this is the last time I'm going to be able to do this before I start getting too old to do this, which is hilarious because it's 19 years ago. He has had other films where you could apply that to. I know he personally wanted Chinese Zodiac to be that film because that's how it was advertised, but it, it wasn't. There was, yeah, no, when no. <laughs> but this particular film, I mean, the speed at which Jackie comes out and the intricate choreography that he does when he's performing, it's insane. And he's performing with pretty much people half his age, and he's not even struggling to keep up. And when he is struggling to keep up, He pushes himself further and just seems to deliberately go out of his way to make his response more complicated than it needs to be to basically show off he's still got it and he's not gone yet. And I really like that aspect of the film and the fact that it comes back to him slowly as the first half of the film unfolds helps that dramatically because, as we said, he spends a decent portion of the film under the effects of alcohol. He doesn't want to get involved with anything. But when he suddenly does come back and he hears, you know, you're a policeman and he stops the purse snatcher. And then we get that fight scene in the bar. He's still not really with it. And most of his choreography is really sloppy. He's mostly pushing his opponents rather than actually fighting them. And he hides. And the only reason he comes back out is because Frank or Nicholas Z's character is getting overwhelmed and he's going to get beaten and then he finally opens that door and the person that comes out is Inspector Chan. And I really like that aspect of how they told the story of how he continuously improves with every single fight until he gets back to the stage that when we finally get the rematch in the big convention center, he's now able to take them all on at their own game and beat them. And I love the fact that if you took all the dialogue out of this film, you could still get all of that story from the actual physical acting that's going on.
1: And yes, that's exactly what it is. And you know, when it's a good movie, when you, you can break it apart, the way you just did now. No matter if the director now intended all these things to be pieced together and have a symbolical reason and meaning and whatnot. But the fact that you can do that and you can debate and you can have long conversations about a specific story, that means it is good. From a writer's perspective, there are sometimes moments when I, when people discuss or ask me questions of a specific book and then they go on on tangents I've never thought about (laughs) and I was like yeah that's exactly what I meant yeah symbolically speaking that's yeah (laughs) and you just didn't even you know because if readers and, and the audience likes sometimes to just break things apart and just find a lot of a lot of things to discuss and we sometimes I think even for filmmakers maybe they were intentional and other times they weren't but if they if it works and if you can find so many, you know, to analyze the the story and a and movie and break it apart this way, it means it's good. It means it's delivered and it leaves a lot of open doors for you to identify with characters or to for you to debate and explore every scene and to add your own perspective to it. So that, that's, yeah, that's what it makes, makes it a good film. And it probably is, yeah, one of the last ones where you can see Jackie and, and proper action. It is age, it's probably circumstances and a lot of other things that happened throughout the years where he never really went back to the same quality. And probably this one is a is a mix of both where you see still the old Jackie and you see these little things here and there creeping in where it might be probably the early signs of, okay, this is the direction he will soon be taking, which yeah, you can't blame him for. He's 70 years old next year so uh the fact that he's still producing movies is is great even if he would have retired 30 years ago he had that entire legacy behind him that you can't take away and i think what no matter what he's doing now in cinematography is really not going to take away what he did throughout his career
0: no i agree like i said i'm still hoping that he's got a one more left in him before he does retire or just just stops whichever you know however it happens i think the film that to me is his finale is the foreigner which is a different episode of the show still pending i know people listening it, it will happen marshall and i are still talking about it calm down we will get to it but for me new police story feels like in the same way that roaring fire was benny chan's final film unfortunately literally and figuratively it felt like the end of Hong Kong films because Hong Kong got swallowed up by China and that really was the last the last hurrah of an industry of film that basically was already dead, but it went out on a roar instead of a whimper. That, to me, feels like what Jackie was trying to achieve when he was making this film. I mean, Benny Chan was the director of Roaring Fire and he was the director of this film as well. And I just think that Jackie and Benny, I mean, they've done so many films together, not all of which have been amazing. I think that they both wanted to make a film to prove that the American films that Jackie had made was barely scratching the surface of what he was capable of. And I know that personally, he was frustrated with a lot of the American roles because like you said, he did unfortunately pigeonhole himself into being the comedy guy that did slapstick and did a bit of action and made people laugh. And whilst he enjoyed doing that, He also wanted to do other stuff. I mean, I think it's quite common knowledge, that quote that he said he wanted to be remembered more like Robert De Niro than Bruce Lee, because De Niro is an actor and he's done loads of different roles. And I don't think, not in a negative way, Jackie Chan is always going to be remembered as Jackie Chan because there isn't another Jackie Chan. Even the people that he's closest comparable to, like Sammo Hung and Yum Bu, they never had the success in the West that he did. They never had that... Legacy, that myth that seemed to build up around Chan, the man who can. And that final fight in the Lego store is still talked about 19 years later by people that are only just now discovering it, like you said, by those next generations. And I see it every now and then, it will get shared around Twitter and people will go mad for it. And obviously, it will make them go and track the film down. But it still makes me smile that something that was made. At the time, considered to be the twilight of Jackie's career, not knowing that he would continue to go on for you know forever from from the looks of it. But it ended up being one of the films that is still considered one of his best in terms of action. And I think in terms of story and his emotional acting as well, yes, if you wanted to argue that the Shijinko incident has probably even darker tones and darker acting from him. But it's nowhere near as comparable for the action because the Shijinku incident is a flat out drama with a handful of serious, very, very quick fight sequences. But Police Story gets the balance right. And the fact that it is New Police Story, it was very much channeling that legacy of his other four films. We won't talk about lockdown, but the fact that New Police Story was very much like this is the new Police story, and it felt like he had a statement to say, and I think he succeeded.
1: Yeah, I I do agree with, with what he said, and yeah, when it comes to him, you know, his career, the legacy he left, and then is leaving behind, it's no matter really what he will be doing now, and even if he stops doing movies, it doesn't really matter. But for a person like him, he will probably do movies till the day he dies. It's a bit of that Michael Jackson effect where the stage is the place they will die because you are so passionate about what you do that you literally can't give up on that feeling of uh, that that's my life and that's what I'm doing and if I'm stop doing that I stop living because that was that's the only thing I know how to do and enjoy doing and yeah some movies are not the best quality these days but yeah he's doing what he can with what he has uh, and given all the circumstances so. But the fact that he's still out there and still still doing his movies and giving so many young people a chance to be in films and to work on films and to build up to having a career, that's probably one of the things he's trying to do now uh, as well. To Yeah, of course, he's the main uh, guy in there because he's always been, that's what drives all the sales and all the audience. And even number one on Netflix is just because he's, because his name is on there. Even if you're expecting from the trailer, that's not going to be a good movie. You're still watching it because, yeah, let's see what he's doing because he is who he is. And that's what you can't take away from him. But the fact that he sometimes steps aside, it seems, and gives younger generations a chance and visibility and helps them build their careers. Because once you were in the J.C. Stunt team, worked alongside him that gives you a really good portfolio to to move on and go somewhere else and then prove I'm good. If, if, you know, I was a JC stunt team member, that means I to some degree know what I'm doing, right? So that's great that he um, is doing that. And you can clearly see that that's some of the intentions that he has as well. But yes, just definitely one of those artists that will do movies forever as long as he can.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, The stunt sequence in particular where he's trying to chase down that rampaging bus that is going of its own accord because the driver gets shot, not only is it just a great example of what he was still capable of, jumping from the rooftops, parkouring his way onto the bus, and then dodging the signs and doing great climbing across a sign to a moving bus, and if he times it wrong, he's got nowhere to go and gravity will just flop him on the ground. But not only is that just a great segment in and of itself with some fantastic practical effects, the bus roof being ripped off, him coming out of the debris, them stopping, them, you know knocking the truck over and going into the water. But the fact that it was specifically a bus and it's that particular color is such a throwback to the original police story sequence where he chases the bus and goes after it and stops the people that are trying to get away. It's no accident. And it's that sort of, Great sort of references that I like when they do that. If you don't know what it is that that's a reference to, it's irrelevant. It's still a fantastic scene. But if you do remember the fact that there's a really cool bus chase in other police story films and other Jackie Chan films for that matter, that makes it even more fun. It's like, you know, that this is something that he's done before. How's he going to do it differently this time? And it's still different. He still manages to find a way to be creative and Give you something different. But also, you then go from something like that to the scene where his girlfriend is handed a bomb and he has to come to the realization that he can't disarm it. And that whole sequence I thought was perfectly acted by both of them. And like you said, we try to strike the balance of really enjoying the story. You've got a massive, great big stunt sequence that's super enjoyable. Then you've got these emotional beats that can range from euphoria. To depression and you know misery, and it can get really down. It's not dark, but it's very down, in my opinion, for the most part. But then the one thing that has kind of been missing suddenly makes an appearance at the very end, which just caught me off guard. And just I laughed out loud so much because it was needed. You finally do get a bit of comedy from everyone in the scene where they escape from the police station because. Their ally throughout the entire film, Sasa, convinces her dad to let them out. But they completely mess it up. They're trying to sneak through the precinct and the chief opens the door to his office and walks straight into them. And he just sort of looks at them like, uh, and then just turns around, pretends he didn't see them, opens his door back up and walks back in. And they just look at each other like, okay. And I was laughing so much at that scene because, again, you need it after all of the sort of Dark depressing nature that you've had up until this point, and the scene of his girlfriend blowing up that we've just witnessed, which was a great explosion, but again, she gets injured, she's in hospital, you don't know if she's going to live or die, and it's like, oh for God's sake film i'm I'm sad enough, thanks and then nicholas z's character walks straight into a metal bin, so the entire precinct now knows that they're there, and then they just ignore them and they're like, are we invisible or something and You needed that levity and i love the fact that they took that levity and then made it into a serious moment where he runs into his rival who has kind of been a dick all the way through the film and he takes out a gun and you're sort of like uh where's this going and then he leaves it on the side and says bring it back when you're done and to see that transition of him going from basically the joke of the police force to Deep down, everybody wants him to be that hero cop that they still know he is. And I even made a note when I was writing it that when he finally comes back and he decides to go after them properly and he does it the right way, he is the super cop again. He's channeling the same style of character that he was in the previous police story films, even though I don't really think it's connected. It's not really the same character. He's too different. But I love the fact that there's enough of a connective tissue that it's up to the audience whether or not they want it to be the fifth police story movie or its own movie that just happens to share the name. And I really like that aspect of it in a way that I think a lot of other movies that tried to pull off a sort of semi-reboot type thing really don't succeed at, you know?
1: It is. And it's. I, I do agree that it's, a, it's an enjoyable mix of comedic scenes and then really heavy drama which I appreciate not everybody enjoys but it also needs to be done in a really good quality way which I think this movie did but it's very easy to to come across as really foolish or cringe or just tasteless if you have drama and then suddenly put in whatever funny scene where you think it's completely out of place and and just lacks any sort of good timing so you need you need to piece that together carefully when, when you want to blend those two it's the same way with references like you said with the the bus that references the early police story it's a very very small hint to if if someone who really watched his and paid attention to his past movies will identify and see that and as like you said a really nice little hint to oh okay that's cool and if you don't if you don't, then you just take it as it is and move on. What I think they did really badly in the John Cena movie, in Hidden Strike, it's called, I think, right? Where they tried yeah. so many references what, to the point where you think, what is are they just? I just say they're just making fun now of his um, past movies, of his career, and it's very, very forced. And even more than that, what's the horse movie called? <laughs> I'm so glad right on. one, uh, right on. I think that one went really much overboard with hinting at past movies, uh, Jackie's career. At some point, he and his he's in his own character, but his character daughter next to him, and they're watching his actual footage from his actual career, and then they have that moment when went uh, viral and and whatever. And I'm I'm just thinking, what are you trying to do now? Is this a fiction? Is this trying to be some sort of biography because it's not but it, then it's a fiction and he's a man having a horse and then they do all these references that hint to his biography in fact I read that many years ago but I could see certain scenes but even him not having table manners that's hinting at him telling stories of when he was in his 20s and dating having a girlfriend and then he just completely embarrassed her at the restaurant where he didn't have manners and whatever and they put that into ride on i was just thinking are they trying to now, is it is it? Are they, here's the hinting as his own life. Is that a tribute to his career? Then it seems to not be. But there's so many hints that they want to just make it, oh, it's, you know, like a family movie for all my fans who watch the movie and can see all the references. But they make completely no sense. And they're so out of character that they're just thrown in there for the sake of let's reference your movies. And that's just really weird. <laughs> but they did that really well in New Police Story. And it's just very much not on the nose. It's just there. But yeah. It's easy to digest and that makes a huge, huge difference.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, that's not even a new phenomenon. I remember watching The Spy Next Door and that literally starts with the song of danger man and it's playing all of jackie chan's older action spy type films like armor of god and operation condor and some of his works that don't fit but edited down to just the fight scenes to make it look like you're looking at the backstory of this super spy that's been saving the world james bond style all these years so that is something that jackie in particular seems to like doing is to put a lot of his older work into his newer work and I guess because of the way the rights work, he's, he can, because unlike a lot of actors, he's got a lot of the ownership and control over the places that own that work, whereas most actors wouldn't have that option. But in the case, yeah, Ride On is an interesting one because that scene did go viral and it drove me insane because it went viral for all the wrong reasons, because the, everybody kept thinking that it was real that i saw it get reposted so many times that this is jackie and his actual daughter getting emotional watching his old work and i'm like why would they film that in why would that be a thing that they would film with studio cameras with professional editing like come on people can you not tell that this is from a film and if it's from a film Why would that be his actual daughter? Like, come on, apply some actual logic. But no, everybody just shared it to death, thought it was real. And then that got turned into a whole thing because obviously not to how do I phrase this, not to get too political again, I suppose that then led into the whole conversation about why that wouldn't be Jackie Chan's actual daughter, because Jackie kind of disowned his actual daughter because she came out as gay. So that Ah, just created
1: for no reason.
0: Yeah, that just completely just exploded when, you know, one half of the internet just wanted it to be this happy thing. And then the other half of the internet were like, well, no, you're wrong. Here's why. And then that just became such a thing for days. And it's like, it all started because people just couldn't work out. They were watching a scene from a movie.
1: It's just people just have too much time to spend on social media, to be honest, and worry about unnecessary things but yeah when it it seems that it's a pattern and he enjoys doing that, which again he's proud of his career, right? And why wouldn't he use it for yeah it's sometimes a bit out of place and weird. And I've noticed that pattern as well to uh, me growing up watching this films. So and that's somehow how I came up with the Agent Zero Zero idea. What I thought, okay, I'm enjoying his movie so much that I want to make my own martial arts action book. And because I learned so much from, from Jackie just watching his movies. I thought, yeah, okay, I want to do, I want, I want this to be a tribute to his career. But obviously, I don't want to, first of all, copy any of of his films. That's by no means my intention. I want it to be original and I want it to be my own story. But I want to have little hints to his career or to certain things that inspired me without copying those. So those should be original, but still hinting for people who know they know. So what I did is that all the characters are obviously new uh, young uh, police officers. Now, speaking of the Hong Kong part of the the novel, they are a young team that are sent on a mission, but they are led by a boss. And the character's name is simply just Boss, who is basically Jackie's energy and Jackie's way of thinking and putting things at his current age. So it, it's a past an, an agent who once was on a mission, failed for whatever reason, and obviously the, the the story digs into that later on. But crucially you are focused on a young team of agents that are experts in martial arts and they're doing their thing and they have behind them an agent, an, an older agent, their own boss, who's been through it all but who's teaching them and who is at a certain age that Jackie is at the moment. Now the metaphorical bit here is that it is what Jackie more or less does with his current movies and the current film set where he led so many new and young up and coming, yeah, actors and and some men come in and and try to have a, a career, and he gives them the chance. So metaphorically speaking, that's what I did with the you know the the agents who are now in the main focus because they're the young ones, the capable ones to do all the stunts and all the the fighting. But they have behind them someone who's experienced and who's been at a top level once and teaches them now. So that's how I saw the things, and then it has here and there some some bits that where I'm hinting and hopefully. I did that in Good Taste where you can identify, okay, yeah, I can, I can see it. I can see the Jackie the dynamic here or certain funny bits where I'm referencing some of his films here and there. But I would like to say that the entire trilogy is a metaphor in that sense. It is a tribute to his career without pointing fingers at it's that movie and that scene and that's what I, without any of that. And uh, so I hope that does come across in, in a good way. Like that, So I think it is possible to do a good tribute or to hint at your own career, to hint at somebody else's career and say, thank you for inspiring me or thank you, you know, for what, everything you did, because I'm here today writing my own thing because I watched and learned from you in, in a certain way. And I think in the same way, you can hint at your own career and say, I'm proud looking back and look what I did. And that's without it being so on the nose. <laughs> so there's definitely, there's definitely ways of doing I don't know how well I did that. That's for, for readers to, to judge and to decide as well. But yeah, I think it's there's there's different ways of approaching the, this topic.
0: Yeah, 100%. And just before we start wrapping up then, I think the, the final sequence of the film, which I was talking about earlier, is the fight in the Lego store. And one of the things that makes it stand out to me that applies to what we've been talking about is the fact that Jackie Chan has a very specific style, and I'm going to potentially spoil do something I very rarely do, which is potential spoilers ahead for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. If anybody listening to this cares about that film and hasn't seen it yet, Jackie Chan actually voices the character of Splinter in that film. And there is a fight scene that happens with the character of Splinter that is basically just a, what I would call a stereotypical Jackie Chan fight sequence where He fights defensively, he runs away, and most of his hits are using the environment against the enemies. Now, that fight scene doesn't stay like that. It does eventually turn into a more traditional, splinter esque fight scene. But as a fan of Jackie Chan's work, I appreciated the fact that they did that, given that he is the one doing the voice. However, the reason why I use that as a good example of a stereotypical Jackie Chan fight is because the fight in the Lego store really isn't. The fight in the Lego store is. Chan against another opponent who previously beat him sort of at the start of the film realistically he only beat him because he was set up to fail but now he's got a chance to have a proper rematch and he knows full well that the guy will stop using his gun if he challenges him to a fight because that's what he really wants because he's just a kid that wants to prove he's the best and he isn't and the fight that actually unfolds is a straight up martial arts brawl. It's closest cousin, in my opinion, is this is this fight scene that feels like it belongs in Rumble in the Bronx, except, you know, if the people he was fighting in Rumble in the Bronx were actually as good as he is. And I really, really enjoy this fight scene because it really does feel like Jackie just reminding everybody that even though he's going up against someone half his age, he can still do the flat fight scene where there's a little bit of environmental involvement, but it's the bad guy trying to use it against him, not him use it against You know the bad guy. And I really like that. I really like the fact that he just had a fight sequence that was him going man to man to prove to himself in the audience that he can still do it. It was a big part of that character's redemption story is proving that he's still got it. And this continues with the very final scene where He outclasses Joe at rebuilding his handgun. He manages to do it significantly faster than he does this time, as opposed to the start of the film, where it's one of the reasons that his men start literally dropping. But the fact that he then tries to save both of their lives is the reason why I said he is the super cop, as he gets called in the third police story. And that's because at the end of the day, he recognizes that these are just misguided individuals. They definitely are going to jail their actions have consequences but even though at a certain point in the film he might have happily just put a bullet in their head he's a cop and he has to bring them into justice and they have to face justice the right way and i love the way that they showed that transition in these sequences he beats both of them and then tries to save them now he says that the whole team died but they did call an ambulance for the one that he just beat up so I don't know if that one managed to survive, but Joe, unfortunately, can't. He recognizes that he's been beat and that just breaks him. And I think that Jackie's character could have got through to him had he been allowed to just stand there and talk to him. But unfortunately, his dad shows up and he literally pushes the SDU guys who are all wielding assault rifles, for those who may not remember the scene. He literally just pushes them out the way and manually lowers their guns so he can walk through them and then gets in the way of the line of fire and starts yelling at his son, who's currently got a gun in his hand. And unsurprisingly, that didn't calm the situation down. (laughs) And you just think, like you said earlier, his death is on his father, but it's literally on his father because in that moment, Joe saw no other way out. And Even though he can't actually do anything with that gun because there's no bullet in it, which Jackie well knows, the snipers don't know that, and they kill him when he raises his gun. And it's a sad scene, but it's also sort of a... I don't want to... What's the word I want? It's not sad. It has one of those emotional moments where you've spent the entire film hating this character, really he's the one that is unhinged he's the one that does a lot of the despicable acts and he's the one that pushes the others to be non-caring and malicious but you also know that he's the one that's had the most broken damaging things done to him and you this is the him, scene because right?
1: you understand yeah. yeah
0: yeah it finally comes out and it does give you that moment of kind of wanting to him not to die and he does and it's really well done And obviously then allows us to have one final stump moment where Jackie has to save uh, Nicholas Z. But the fact that they were willing to show all of that and then we get Hoji's scene, which I still think it shouldn't be like a big thing, but I still think it is considering where this was made and when this was made, which is that the explosion took a toll on her. She's scarred quite obviously and physically has quite a lot of burns on her face And she's understandably got a lot of issues that she's going to have to work through. But I love the fact that they end it with him, you know, proposing to her again, because he's already done it once. And it's like he spent the whole film being told by her that she didn't blame him for what happened to her brother. She didn't blame him for what happened to the other police. She's like, if I have to blame someone and she, the way she says it is like, I don't really blame anyone, but if I have to blame someone, surely it's the actual people that committed the killings that I would blame and that you should blame. And I love the fact that at the end of the film, you almost get that reverse where she's now convinced that she should remove herself from society because she's got to deal with all of the body image issues that she's now got. And he basically turns around and is like, no, I still want to marry you. I still love you. And I nothing's changed. And he kind of uses her words back at her and when you've had this really dark ride all the way through the film, I do like the fact that it ends on that note of positivity, and like you said, you get the mystery solved that Nicholas Z was basically doing all of this because Jackie Chan did the right thing when he was younger for him, and now he's returning the favor so to me, it's a really well done story, and I don't understand why so many people have issues with it
1: it's yeah, it's indeed a an emotional roller coaster. From every possible angle for every character and for the audience, at the same time, and yeah, it's enjoyable. As you said, the the fight scene. I mean, the the Lego fight scene is a uh, first of all really great product placement on there. And oh yeah, and <laughs> again, shows it shows Jackie's way of doing action where even if he he is not the really the character that says you know I don't want to fight or whatever because he is after these guys and he wants to catch them and, and wants justice, but he if not necessary he doesn't want to hurt them so if he can even and Dion's character you know tries to do his best to not hurt him uh, more than necessary even with Daniel Wu's character at the end tries to to limit the, the damage and just say you not know, don't shoot it's not loaded the gun he's holding so whatever he tries to do is just limit the damage because he cares about the human beings behind the drama but which is not always um, possible but like you said it ends on a positive note it ends on a sort of sad positive note if I may say that but uh, it blends well with the rest of the story if you had the hero type ending where everybody's back to their own lives and everything's great and whatever that's not really Jackie so yeah you can see some physical and emotional scarring for some of the characters which is similar to real life Right? You you won't never get out of a job like that without any of the, the damage they portrayed in the film and they did that really well yeah
0: yeah yeah and i think that probably wraps up our conversation we've been going for a while now and i hope everybody listening enjoyed it we managed to talk about both agent double o and new police story and like i said if you ever want to come back ramona and talk about a specific action film again separate from doesn't have to be one that inspired the book you're more than welcome it sounds like you definitely uh have a lot of love for the action genre.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we do that sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, is there anything that you'd like to say before you go? Like, is there a place where people can go and find you specifically, not just your work?
1: Yes, buy my book. <laughs> I need those royalties. <laughs> no, people can find me on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm even on TikTok, although pretty ashamed to admit for some reason I'm on that platform as well. So. Yeah, I can, I'm can just a Google search away. But yeah, Agent Zero Zero is out on the first of September. People can pre-order now anytime until September, and obviously even after September. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to hear what everyone thinks about the story and getting reviews, bad, good reviews, whatever it is. I'm excited for, for all of them.
0: Sweet. Well, all that remains for me to do is to hand you over to the me of the future and tell you what's coming next. All right, there you go. That is the first episode of 2024, an episode that should have been in September of 2023. Now, normally I would do a bit of a recap or an outro of the episode in question, but as I didn't edit this one, uh, I'm not recording this at the end of the editing, so I can't. But I will be editing next week's episode, which is the one with audio issues, unfortunately, and that is On Karate Kill, and I am joined by recurring regular guest, matthew essery aka wheels critic and we have a great chat about an amazing cult classic martial arts flick and uh yeah it's going to be a very interesting year i hope that uh you all had a great end of the 2023 and i shall see you all next time hopefully to be finally back on track for the new year stay safe y'all